0: Well, good morning again. Um, I'm like an emotional train wreck today, just FYI. Uh, we we had uh, a close, some close friends, really like family in a lot of way. Um, some of you know the story, but um, I'd ask for, if you could remember, the, the Goss family. Uh, these were friends of ours in Savannah, Georgia. Before they were married, we were in their wedding, and um, the... Husband and wife is Kevin and Ashley, and Ashley's been uh, fighting brain cancer for a couple years, um, and uh, she went to be with Jesus a couple days ago, and uh, so anyway, sorry, I thought I had it under control, but we uh, we're going to be making our uh, trip down there to be with them. Uh, it's just um, it's been a long battle, and um, they have three children all still in the house uh, under 16, um, and so our friend Kevin's now a, a single father, and uh, trying to just figure things out, and so. So we've, we got that news a few days ago, um, but then to, let's flip it now. Um, so today we have our own very own missionaries to Nevada, Patrick and Taryn. Uh, I'm just kidding on the missionary part. They actually, Patrick and Taryn, everybody knows. Give them a hand too, just to make them feel awkward. <laughs> We love you guys, and again, they've been a part of our church for, for a while now, and we've missed them, and they're back for a visit, and so we get to see them uh, today, uh, so it's good to, great to see you out there. And then Jasper, I'm going to dime you out, man. So <laughs> this guy in the back, Jasper, uh, our friend, he's, um, he's he was our close friend, uh, your family too, really, uh, from Kuwait, um, uh, his family and our family. we. Just uh, his son is the same. Actually, his son, his birthday is the same as Isaac's birthday. They share the same birthday. They're the same age and everything, and David. Uh, and so uh, him and his wife and their son just were just dear friends of ours. Like I said, they were family while we were over there. And then this this fine gentleman here doesn't say anything to me and just shows up this morning. And so, um, so needless to say, <laughs> that was an emotional high for me. So it's just been... Um, uh, quite a morning already, uh, and, you know, it's just good to be with you. We're going to be doing baptisms, which I'm excited about, to hear what ARA is doing, so it's just a lot going on, and, and it's great, and it's great just to be together with all of you, and I do want to um, share just a bit here briefly of what God is, has just uh, put on my heart to share, and, you know, we're going to finish up this series that we started last week called Out with the Old, and, and just really, guys, we enter the new year. Um, how many? First off, how many were here Wednesday night at the night of worship? Okay. Thursday. It's been that week, so sorry. Thursday night. I was here Wednesday night, too, but Thursday, yeah, so a good handful of people. And, guys, if you guys missed that, I just want to encourage you, keep, a, keep your radar out for the next one. It was just a really awesome time, and I'm not just saying that as a pastor. You can ask any of those people that had their hands up. Just it was a real special time just to be together and just to worship God. We took communion together. Just a very um, wonderful setting for us to be together and to worship the Lord. And uh, just a a great, great time. And so I would encourage you the next time you see that um, come up uh, to jump in on that. And it's just been, again, it's just been a, a wonderful time building up to today. And as we talked about last week uh, you know, this, this idea of when we enter the new year, and we, we, a lot of times we make resolutions, but a lot of times when we think of the new year, we think about the things that we're going to add to ourselves, right? Like what we're going to do, this is what we're going to add, we're going go to go schedule a trip to the gym, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Um, and as we pointed out last week, what if we focused more on, you know, making space, right? Maybe instead of adding to, maybe what is it in our lives that we should remove? Maybe is there something that we can lay down to make more space uh, in our schedules, in our time, uh, for God to do something, and and so last week again, I, I had a lot of comments and so good comments about, about that message, and I, I hope it was challenging. Um, and today is is kind of similar but but different, and you'll see what I mean here. There's there's um, where we're going to go today, and, and you know I think it's something. I don't think I know that it's something that all of us deal with in life, and that is regret, right? When we think about regret, and, and I say this all the time, and I'm gonna I say it every time I mention the word regret is you know you meet those people who just spout off, you know, well I have no regrets in this life. I'm like, well, you're you're lying. <laughs> oh, all right. And I mean, unless you've duct taped yourself to a wall your entire lifetime and not done anything, um, it's it's you're lying because there is always there are always things that we wish we could go back and do, right? Something we could be done di- that could be done different. Um, something that could be said different and so and I think with a lot of us and, and as I was just thinking about regret and how we deal with it it's it's something that's so like it's paralyzing isn't it because it's kind of this thing that sort of looms behind it's not right in front of us all the time and and frankly our culture stays busy enough and one of the reasons why is because we're there's people filled with regret. They don't want to stop and think about those things, those mistakes, you know. There's, there's still kind of open wounds, if you will. And so we stay so busy, or we're working, right? We're doing so much to try to kind of maybe pay for that or, or you know, do something to counter that. And so it it does linger, and it does kind of loom over us. And the two things, I, 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 aspects I want to talk about regret is, is first and foremost, and it may sound simple, but the first is to recognize regret. We have to recognize that that's what the, the root of what maybe something we're doing or not doing is. And secondly, we have to then release that. How do we let go of that regret? You know, when it comes to regret, there, there are kind of two sides to the coin, if you will. And one of the things is, is uh, what we do or what we've done to someone else, right? What we've done to someone else. So, you know, our past actions, whether they're intentional or not, they affect others, don't they? They affect others, and oftentimes they can end up deeply hurting those we love, and and the result is regret. You know, there are times in our life where, again, we've done something either intentional or unintentional, but it's our loved ones, it's those closest to us that oftentimes kind of bear the brunt of that and get hurt the most. Perhaps you broke someone's trust in the past by lying to them. Perhaps you posted that comment on social media that you, you, know, you put them in their place really good. Maybe it was stealing money from a relative to fuel an unhealthy habit or desire. Maybe it was even cheating on somebody that ultimately led to that heartbreaking breakup or divorce. You see, we all all of our actions, we, whether, we, whether it's just we're saying something or doing something, they have that possibility, well, they have the possibility they're going to impact people but it can either either be for the good or for the bad, right? And so we have to be aware of that, that again, things that we do are actions. Another type of regret, the other side of the coin, kind of going along with last week, would be the times when we did not take action, right? The absence of action, sometimes maybe we regret that. A woman by the name of uh, Bronnie Ware, she's a palliative caregiver who spent a lot of time with patients on their deathbed, and She wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of Dying. And in it, she wrote the most common regrets of her clients as they reflected back on their life, included, number one, not enjoying more time off of work. She said that, you know, many of them, they just, they regret working so much and so hard, and then by the time they get to the end of their life, they're like, I would have rather had more time with my family or with loved ones. Not enjoying more time off of work, not expressing their feelings, Right? not telling that person that you love them, not saying, you know, kind of what's on your mind. The next one is not staying in touch with friends. The next one is not letting themselves be happy and finally not being courageous enough to live true to themselves. You know, so many times we allow ourselves to be conformed to what's around us instead of being what God has called us to be. The reality is, again, we all—we're not alone in this room. We all have regrets in this room. Even those who view, again, even though we view as the greatest in the faith, you know, the people that we see is, you know, man, that person's really, really doing something amazing. One of those people that stood out and uh, came across this, this article was Billy Graham. And again, if somebody <laughs> walked a, a walk, and it, you know, it seems like he did walk the walk. Not that he was perfect. But you think of all that was accomplished, that got accomplished through Billy Graham, the lives that were touched. Listen to this account that he shares in his book, Just As I Am. He, he says that on the way back uh, to, the, or to the Kennedy House, the president-elect stopped the car and turned to me. So this is President John F. Kennedy. And he says to, to, to Billy, he says, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, he asked. I most certainly do. Well, does my church believe it? Billy said, they have, they have it in their creeds. Well, they don't preach it, he said. They don't tell us much about it. I'd like to know what you think. Billy goes on, I explained what the Bible said about Christ coming the first time, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and then promising that he would come back again. Only then, I said, are we going to have permanent world peace. Very interesting, Kennedy said, looking away. We'll have to talk more about that someday, and drove on. Several years later, the two met at the 1963 National Prayer Breakfast. I had the flu, Billy talking. He had the flu, and he said, After I gave my short talk and he gave his, we walked out of the hotel to his car together, as was always our custom. At the curb, he turned to me, Billy, could you ride back to the White House with me? I'd like to see you for a minute. Mr. President, I've got a fever, I protested. Not only am I weak, but I don't want to give you this thing. Couldn't we wait and talk some other time? It was a cold, snowy day, and I was freezing as I stood there without my overcoat. Of course, he said graciously. But the two would never meet again. Later that year, Kennedy was shot dead. Graham comments, his hesitation at the car door and his request haunt me still. What was on his mind? Should I have gone with him? It was an irrecoverable moment, and so you know I, I put myself in, in in that position. And if I had a flu on a cold day like today, and even he was even looking out right for for the president's health, you know, because he didn't want to give him what he had. And to this day, you know, or, you know, while Billy was still alive, that he. It haunted him that he didn't just go ahead and push through because it seemed like President Kennedy wanted to talk about something and maybe that might have been that conversation. Now, again, I'm sure you know Billy would tell you that his faith in God is is greater and that God got to him however he needed to, whatever that message would have been. But again, even people like Billy Graham, the late great Billy Graham, had regrets. They had regrets. And while some, again, some of these regrets might be small, and we can quickly move on from them, other regrets, and as many of you probably are thinking about today, they have the ability to carve this deep scar in us that really influences our thoughts and actions even for years to come, in some cases even a lifetime. A 2011 study... Uh, in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, uh, it said this. It said that about 90% of adults have deep regrets about their lives and that the more they dwell on it, the worse their quality of life tends to get. And so in a group this size, I want to pause and I just want us to think about, I I wonder how many of us in here are living with that kind of regret, that kind of depth of regret, and how that regret of whatever that was, however long ago it was, is affecting you today and even in this moment. How it's affecting your life, how you're living your life. You see, we all have this past where for many of us, deep regret resides But regardless of whether it was a harmful behavior or maybe that missed opportunity, the reality is that by holding on to these regrets, one, we are limiting the healing that God desires to do in us. And I want you to hear this this morning, that God desires to heal that that place in in your heart, in your life today. Again, we... We oftentimes say, well, yeah, I know, but this is, this is my, my thing that I have to bear, right? You see, the problem is that Jesus bore a cross for your sin and for my sin, for whatever that was. And when we don't release that, when we don't let go of that, it's the same as saying, well, Jesus, that wasn't quite enough <laughs> to cover this, right? Now, don't get me wrong, there are, For some of those decisions, some things that happen in our life, there are consequences, right? There are things that are going to happen. But what I'm talking about today is what's at the the soul level here. What's in your heart today and how you're walking that out. Are you walking fully in the gift that God has given you in your salvation? Because he cannot partly save you. (laughs) It's all or nothing, and so the work of the cross from beginning to end, again, it, it, is, it is all in that package. It's the package deal. And so what areas maybe have you not allowed God to come in and heal inside of you? And number two, as we hold on to these things, many times we are limiting the ministry, and listen to this, that God longs to perform through us. If God wants to first heal the thing within us. Why? So then he can move and work through us. You have to understand that that there is a plan and there is a purpose for your life here on earth. Even as we heard today, again, you know, Billy and Jen shared, you know, they were doing something else when God called them, when God opened this door, and they had to be obedient to step into it so God can work through them. And it's the same for every person in here, that God wants to work through you and through your life. But it can only happen once we allow that healing to take place. So how do we get past regret? As we said already, we first recognize it, and then we release it. Only then can we freely step into this this thing that God is calling us to. And so now I want to bring in somebody here uh, that you probably know well, and that would be the Apostle Paul. And we're going to take a look at uh, some of uh, the Scripture today and some places where he reveals a bit of what was going on inside of him. I mean, you talk about somebody that probably had some regrets, right? But the fact of the matter is, and I was, you know, even in the video we watched today, some of the gentlemen there, it's it, it's like real-life Apostle Pauls, right? I mean, they they lived this lifestyle before they knew Jesus. He called them, he redeemed them. And now they're out, even the one that went back and like, hey, wait a second. And that's it's it's today, but it's the same exact thing that was happening to the Apostle Paul because he was going around persecuting Christians. And he shows up again. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, and we're going to begin in verse 9. And it reads, Paul writes, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme." And in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. I thank you, God, for this time. Those that are here uh, in the building, those that are watching online, God, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive your word. May it do a work as only it can to the point where we, where we are changed, Father, uh, and it moves us to action in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You see, again, it was, it was Paul, he says this, that he was convinced, <laughs> he was convinced in his opposition towards Jesus. You know, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I will. Up until college, I was convinced that Washington, D.C. was on the West Coast. <laughs> I'm really sorry to say that. I just, but wouldn't that make sense? I'm sorry, it's just, you explain Washington, D.C. It, most people can't. It's like, I don't know. I don't get it. Regardless of, honey, you got to stop laughing at me. <laughs> what I point is, is, regardless of our conviction, right? My conviction was pure, I promise you. I would have gotten into my car and started driving west <laughs> to be sadly disappointed when I arrived. It doesn't change the fact that it was wrong. You with me? All right. Any other people thinking Washington was out west? Washington, D.C.? Okay, just a few. Thanks for your honesty here. It's okay. It's a safe space. But listen, especially, I just, I just want to say this today because I think in our culture, this needs to be shouted from the rooftops that being convinced of something doesn't necessarily make it true. We live in a time where you can pull out the dang whiteboard and the charts and you can just map out the whole thing on why this is the way it is. And some of you say, well, I don't believe that. Right? You probably have dealt with this. Because they are convinced, (laughs) and that's the climate of culture that we live in, that, hey, if I just feel like this, and I believe this enough, and I'm convinced that this is it, then it must be true. I want to say some other things, but I'm not going to. I'm going to save them. Let me just say this. (laughs) If only we as Christians would have that same attitude, right? Because here's the thing is that what, what we possess, though, is the truth. When God has revealed that, when we see it for what it is, when we, we look in the scripture and, and, and God has entered into our life and saved us, we know we have the truth. That's, that's the thing. You know, I, I've not, I may not be the, the, the greatest theologian, but my relationship with Jesus, I know who he is. And I know what, who he has been and where he has walked with me in my life. And no one can ever take that from me, ever. Now, again, having this scripture and understanding to know that to where now I can articulate that to somebody is helpful, but when we have that, when you have that truth, no one can take that. And so I want to encourage us to be, you know, that way and to know what is true and to stand for that, but to understand that a lot of times in our culture now, people just pick a truth, right? And for Paul, he was genuinely convinced, all right? Listen to this. You know, he, again, his problem was that he had done much against the early church to prevent its growth. It is safe to say that Paul had some regrets to let go of. You see, Paul, he was a Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee, which, again, was a very respected uh, position. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, again, very respected. Studied the Jewish law in the strictest manner under one of the greatest teachers. And listen, in his zealousness for his religious tradition, Paul convinced himself to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he he was convinced he persecuted Jesus' followers, which is known as the way. He was capturing both men and women, delivering them to prison. He punished them in the synagogues, both in Jerusalem and in foreign cities. And listen, he even sought, as he said earlier, we read, he sought to make them blaspheme. That means he, he, he put pressure on them. He made them uncomfortable. He Maybe, maybe there was even torture like to get them to, to, to renounce Jesus. We also see that he cast his vote against them, that they would be put to death. Again, with this list of pious deeds, if, if anyone could say they were blameless in his pursuit of righteousness under the Jewish law, it was Paul, right? Yet, after an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road, as we're, we're familiar with, and Jesus knocks him off his, his, his horse there, or his donkey, knocks him on the ground, and he says, why are you persecuting what? Me. Me. Now, again, Paul never did anything directly to Jesus when he walked the earth, but by persecuting his church, Paul was ultimately coming against Jesus himself. He was fighting against the Messiah himself, and the very Messiah, in fact, that he was still waiting to see arrive in his mind. So listen, you got the picture of Paul? Have they painted it pretty well? Do you think you're better or worse than Paul? Don't answer that. But listen, despite all of this, Jesus chooses Paul to be an instrument for him. And I love it. I love that you guys are here today. I love that story that you shared because that gentleman that showed back up at that village, that they're like, Do you, can you have any idea the testimony that he has? Because they knew him before. And again, it was the same with Paul. They're like, you killed some of our brothers and sisters either by blood or in the faith at your hand. There's no way that nothing else explains this change than for Jesus to have done something amazing in him, to change him, right? So understand, wherever you are today, wherever you find yourself today, you're not too far gone, and God still has a plan and purpose that he wants to carry out through you, and you have no idea what God can accomplish through you as long as you are faithful. And I believe that's what God saw in Paul is that this guy is faithful. <laughs> he'll do, he'll do, once he sees, he'll go. And so he knew, and he empowered Paul, he equipped Paul to go and do, again, a, a great things. But again, not because of Paul. And we're going to find out right now, as I want to move briefly into Paul's posture here. Um, if, again, if you can turn in your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians, we're going to just pick up our pace a touch here. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 through 10, this is again Paul writing. He says, for I am, what, the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I mean, you would, most people just say, well, don't say that about yourself, right? That's what we say to you know, don't say those things. You're, you're great. You're, Paul's like, I'm nothing. <laughs> I'm not worthy of this the least of the appalling. We see this humility in those next six words. Again, in verse 10 now, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And listen to, look for this word grace now. I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We have to recognize, church, and and again, I think there are times we do it well, there are times maybe we don't. Anything that we do well. (laughs) Any growth we see in this church is by the grace of God. It's not because of, you know, who's behind the pulpit. It's not because of the aesthetics. It's not because of whatever else you want to put on the list. It's only by the grace of God. We have to stay in that place of being submitted to God and being humble before God, recognizing it is his grace that accomplishes all that needs to be done. His grace is what it is all about. Now to Philippians 3. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation here, verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. And he says, again, Paul writing again, he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Now listen, dial in right now. He says this, he says, Forgetting the past, forgetting the past, Let me just say this. It's not just, we're talking about regret. We're talking about maybe those negative things, but also forget all the good stuff in the sense of, again, we remember where God has been faithful, but those victories, don't let those things, don't live back there, right? They say the last words of a church that's about to die is is this, is that, well, we've never done it that way before. We have to keep moving. God is bringing us into new seasons, Forgetting the past and looking where? Forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Again, he gives us this picture of this race that we're running on. We have to persevere as God is calling us home. Verse 15, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things, If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Listen verse 16 now. But we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. So where we are today, we continue and we hold on to that and we keep moving to the next and to the next, much like that race. On May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. Within two months, John Landy eclipsed the record by 1.4 seconds. On August 7th, 1954, the two met together for a historic race. As they moved into the last lap, Landy held the lead. It looked as if he would win, but as he neared the finish, he was haunted by the question Where is Bannister? As he turned to look, Bannister took the lead. Landy later told a Time magazine reporter If I hadn't looked back, I would have won. Today, church, again, we cannot look back. You cannot look back, right? As we acknowledge our regrets today and let go of the pain that that we have caused those we loved, we can receive grace and forgiveness with help, the help of God and others. Now listen, again, I just want to reiterate, it doesn't mean that thing didn't happen, right? You may have made a mistake, done something wrong, something even mean, right? Bad. And there may be consequences that you're still walking out today and you still may have to deal with those things, but what I'm saying is that that's different than living back in that place and still allowing that regret to control you. Do you understand? We have to learn to let go of our regrets and working through the pain of our past. It may not happen overnight, but it is the process, again, that we must work through. As we prepare to, to wrap up this time, and we're going to transition into a time of communion here briefly, I mean, communion. sorry, baptism. I want to share, just again, just some real practical things here on how we rec- once we recognize these regrets are holding us back, what we must do. And it's going to take time, but number one, First, we bring these regrets to God, right? Confessing, repenting of our sin that that created these feelings to receive forgiveness from God. Again, he promises us that he will forgive us, and we just bring it to God and say, God, I made the mistake here, and I ask your forgiveness. We have to bring it before the Lord. Number two, again, as we receive that forgiveness from God, again, perhaps one of the most difficult steps is learning how to forgive ourselves remembering that the Spirit has set us free in Christ from the condemnation of sin and death. Again, that's everything. We have to learn, again, to forgive ourselves. The cross made that possible, and so we have to forgive ourselves. Number three, then we move our focus to the next goal, what God is calling us to in Christ. You see, once we've cleared that out of the way, Even going back to last week, moving some of that junk out. Once that's gone, now it's like, God, show me what you're calling me to. And let me run faithfully to it. Number four, and here's the thing I think we probably struggle with the most too, is to learn from our regrets. Right? Don't keep making the same mistake over and over. Learn from them and allow God's grace to redeem them by using our story to minister to others. There are things that have happened in my life, things that I've even done, mistakes I've made. And, you know, it is, it is beautiful when I'm talking to somebody who's in that same place, and now I'm able to use that thing, that, I, that mistake I made, and just say, you know what? I know what you're going through. I was there, and God, this is what God has done for me. Right? We have to learn from those things. Number five, give, give thanks to God for his patience. <laughs> Somebody should be saying amen for that. All y'all, all, we all should, right? God is a patient God, and he extends that to us often. Number six, we need to surround ourselves here with Christian community. Now, again, I, don't say, I didn't say insulate ourselves. <laughs> You don't just hang out with with people that think and, you know, that are believers. We have to be a light to the world, but you've got to have Christians and believers around you just to encourage you, to support you. It's so important, and and for accountability and encouragement, right? And finally, you know, if you need more help, more in-depth help, then seek help. Talk to a mature believer. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a Christian counselor, all right? Because sometimes it's that, depending on the depth or what happened or what the the outcome was, you know, we may have to work through some things, right? As we lean into God's grace and mercy, we can live without our regret paralyzing us and holding us back from all God has in store. Would you bow your heads? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for your word. And just for, again, as we start this new year, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, those online, again, that, that if there are regrets in their lives, God, we pray that they would first recognize those. Again, just to, to make space, Lord, for you to come in and for you to, to, to remove that guilt and shame because that is what you did. <laughs> on the cross that is the gift that you offer us and we have to just recognize where those things are and then release those to you and God we ask that you would just take those 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 thoughts that condemnation that the enemy wants to put in our minds and remove them so that we can truly step out and achieve all that you have called us to do God, for those here where regrets have, have, have just hindered them from even speaking, Lord, the truth about the gospel, the good news about the gospel, about reaching others, because, Lord, maybe we don't find ourselves worthy enough. Well, we are not worthy on our own. But in Christ, Lord, we are found worthy. And, God, we just thank you for that. And so, God, I just pray that we would truly turn these areas over to you and trust you with them. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.